today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Not believing the truth of God's Word, but believing the, the logic or the understanding of man, weakening the Word of God within our lives. And when the attack of the enemy comes in our lives, we don't have anything to stand on. We have no foundation. Why? Because they've watered down this Word. Perhaps they don't even teach this Word. They teach all kinds of self-helps and, and be good and, and, you know, nice things to say, but there's no foundation of God's Word, and it's the foundation of God's Word that will keep you in the midst of the storm, keep you strong and understanding who God is and who you are. The Word of God is honest about the state of mankind in weakness, having a great need of God. The Scriptures contain the only truth that we need for our direction and happiness in this life. Pastor David warns us today that we must be careful not to be misled by the wisdom of this world or swayed by a slick presentation. It is only God's truth found in the Bible that has the power to transform our lives. Don't choose a lie over the truth of God's Word because God has so much more for you. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Believing the Lie Over the Truth. Last week, as we were going through 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we started that out with sharing that, uh, hey, we're going to take you behind the curtain. I want you to see that behind the curtain of, I think I referred to the Wizard of Oz that was, looked so magnificent and so powerful, back behind that curtain was a uh, guy that was uh, pretty uh, self-conscious, not too bold, not too powerful at all, just a normal human being. And I shared with you, that's not unlike a lot of ministers and a lot of, a lot of those that are serving in the ministry. And we talked how Paul, in a lot of ways, man, there was great discouragement that would come upon his life. There was attacks that would come upon his life. And Paul had to deal with these. He had to deal with these in real time and in real issues. Well, we're continuing on in chapter 10, and as we're looking at this, I just want to start out with the fact that it is amazing how some people are willing to believe a lie over the truth, even when the truth makes more sense. There's something about the devil's deceitful tactics that draws people to believe a lie over the truth. Think, for instance, if you would, an almighty, all-powerful, God of the universe creating the heavens and the earth, my Bible tells me that he created it in six days. But you know what? Man has a hard time believing that. And I know some of you have a hard time believing that. Six days, come on, come on, pastor, really? You have a hard time believing that. I know you do. Most of the world believes it took millions, if not billions, of years of mistakes 
of deformities, of cross-species regeneration, and a whole lot of luck to form all of the order of the universe that we see and was able to form all the amazing complexities that we see. It just kind of happened out of random happenstance, even as we sang earlier. Personally, I think that takes more faith than it does to believe the truth. It takes more faith to believe that lie than it does to believe the truth of the Bible that says that there is a God, he is almighty, all-powerful, and he spoke into existence all things. And if your God is big enough, guess what? He can do it in 24 hours. If your God isn't big enough, okay, maybe your God has to take millions of years. But the God that I read within the Word of God, Old Testament and New, and we're not going to go into this in depth tonight, but I just thought it was worth saying, the God that I read can do it in a moment. He wouldn't even need 24 hours. He could just put it in place. People believing a lie rather than the truth, and that happens even in areas of ministry. And although we're instructed to let God be our defense, there's times that I feel that we need to speak out the truth, not in condemnation, but as a warning to the sheep. The Apostle Paul understood this, uh, and try as he might to walk humbly and without promoting himself uh, or his calling in any way, the enemy of our souls still worked within the hearts of men, even Christian men, to believe the lie over the truth. Think about it for a moment with me. Can you imagine the situation? Say that you were an accountant. As a matter of fact, not only were you an accountant, you got your CPA. You got a a master's in in business uh, administration. You know that system in and out. You know everything about it. And as a matter of fact, you've had a successful business and you've served successful businesses, both large and small, for a number of years. You know, again, what the business is of accounting, of taxes, all of these things. You now have a very successful business of your own. You serve some of the biggest corporations in your area, as well as doing some of the most difficult and multi-layered personal income tax reports for many of the executives and many of the people that you know. You have a full-time business. You employ a dozen or more tax and accounting assistants within your business. You've been there for years. You've got a good, solid reputation. And then one year, there, there arises within your community this small little startup company, somebody who's been trained online on how to do simple individual personal income taxes, usually the short form, okay? And they have a catchy little name for their business, Max's Taxes, okay? <laughs> Max's Taxes. And so Max's Taxes, he's, he's primarily focused, as a matter of fact, all that he does is these simple, short form, personal income taxes, And he only does that for about six months out of the year. After that, he either goes over to the coast or he goes over to the mountain because, I mean, it's a sole proprietorship. He can pretty well run it whatever way he wants, works when he wants. That's kind of the life that he lives. That's kind of the the business that he has. Well, within a short period of time, a friend of yours comes up to you and informs you that old Max of Max's taxes has been spreading the word around town 
that you, the one who has your CPA, who has your master's in business administration, you who have the business that's been in the area for many years, serving large and small companies, that you, you really don't know what you're doing when it comes to personal income taxes. As a matter of fact, according to Max, your master's degree and your CPA, they're actually fraudulent. You pulled this diploma thing off the internet, you printed it off on your color copier, you framed it and you hung it on your wall and that's all there is to it. You find out through some others that Max is now going through town, he's trying to get some of your longtime customers to drop you as their accountant and let him work on their books for them. How would you feel? Would you feel frustrated? Would you feel maybe a little outraged? I believe you would. If not, I, I don't know where you are in this, because, I mean, that, that would be just absolutely so frustrating to me. You know that these folks and, and these, these businesses that switch over to Max's taxes are going to have some severe problems, and some of those problems are probably going to come up by the name of the Internal Revenue Service, because Max really doesn't know what he's doing very much beyond just the short form. Max really doesn't know what he's doing beyond the short form. And you realize you've got to say something. God is my defense, but you know what? I've just got to say something because it's more than me. It's these people that, again, I've served all these years. Well, beloved, that's where we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Down in verse 7 is where we'll start. But we've, we've seen this as we've gone through 2 Corinthians so far, and actually as we've gone through 1 Corinthians too, we've seen this theme coming over and over again. Paul's need to establish his calling as a minister before God and his apostolic authority before the church. The very church he established, the very church he had spent so much time ministering directly to, both while he was there as well as through letters while he's been gone. For years, Paul had traveled through Asia, Macedonia, and Achaia, sharing the gospel message, both to Jew and Gentile. But his ministry was primarily to the Gentiles because the Jews, for the most part, had rejected him. But he planted multiple churches. He ministered to a host of others through various missionary journeys. He even equipped and sent out men into the ministry to begin and to oversee the churches throughout the area. Paul's ministry was absolutely amazing how many people that he touched during that time of his life. And then all of a sudden he gets word back from the messengers that he had sent to Corinth that there's a lot of false teachers rising up. And a lot of those false teachers, they're not only proclaiming a false gospel, but they're attacking the message and the authority of the Apostle Paul. How do you respond to that? Particularly when it continues to come wave after wave in this relentless ridicule, this continuous criticism of Paul, his message, and his ministry. How would you respond? John Wayne style, shoot them all, let God figure it out, okay? Well, I'll tell you what Paul does here. We ended up last week in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, and Paul tells him very clearly that when he comes, he'll be ready to punish 
all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul says, there's, there's gonna be a come to Jesus meeting, okay? And we're gonna lay these things out very clearly and very direct. Paul administered to them so graciously through the years. Yeah, definitely in a direct way, but also with an abundance of grace. And it seems as though they, they just weren't getting it. They were taking his graciousness and his humility as a softness or a weakness in the Apostle Paul. And so they kept coming with these attacks over and over and over. Well, now he's gonna be very direct, and as some might say, he's gonna be very forceful in trying to get his point across. So here we are, verse seven of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Verse seven, Paul writes, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. He's attacking this idea that this holier than thou or particularly holier than the apostle Paul attitude that was coming and filtering into the church there in Corinth through all the teachings of these false teachers, through the, the cliques that had been formed, through just this whole idea of, man, Paul, he's, he's not here anymore. Now we've really got a really good speaker. Now we've really got somebody that really knows his stuff. And Paul is saying, hey, you guys, just as you guys are Christ, you need to understand we are Christ. Look at verse eight. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification, not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, they're weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. In other words, they're saying that when, when the apostle Paul is here, you know, he doesn't have nearly the authority. He doesn't move nearly as strongly as he does when he writes these letters. He thinks he's big stuff when he's out of here. But when he comes in here, we see that this guy isn't so big. He's pretty much milk toast. What they were missing totally was the humility and the grace that Paul ministered personally to the people there in Corinth. And they mistook his humility and his grace for weakness. He says there in verse 11, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we're absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. In other words, Paul had had enough. That's enough. There's gonna be a showdown at the OK Corral on the outside edge of Corinth when Paul gets back, okay? He's gonna deal with these issues. He's gonna deal with them direct and upfront. That's what he's saying here. When he finally arranges to get back to Corinth, he's gonna deal. Now, you, under, you need to understand that he's writing this right now, not so much as a threat to them, but simply as another opportunity for those that are in rebellion to repent and to suddenly say, wow, we've been knuckleheads. Why are we looking at Paul this way, the guy that has done so much in the ministry, particularly for us here in Corinth? He's writing in such a way that they might not only repent, but even seek forgiveness from the apostle Paul. Now, Paul wasn't saying that he was better than anyone else. Please don't ever Think that 
in all that Paul says. We're going to see some things later on as we get into chapter 11, as Paul gives a kind of the resume of his life. You need to understand, he's not saying that. He says, see, see what I've done? See what I've done? I'm better than you? No, Paul is, again, just defending the lies, the false teachings, and the attacks of the enemy that have come over and over and over because of his love for the church in Corinth. I believe that Paul could not care less as far as what these guys said about him. What he cared about was how it was impacting the church there at Corinth. Paul wasn't saying he was better. He didn't need their approval. He simply wanted the church to remember the call that was on his life and the evidence of that call that had been lived out right in front of them there in Corinth. Look what he says in verse 12. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves, are comparing themselves among themselves, and they're just not wise. And I'm not going to begin, you know, tit for tat against these guys and say, hey, yeah, but my, my school was better than yours. My master's degree was higher quality than yours. My CPA class was tougher than yours. No, he's not, he's not going there at all. You only learned your trade on, online while I went through many years of school. No, he's not going there at all. But he will, in a moment, talk about what he himself had to go through. I'm not going to compare myself to anyone else. He says those that compare themselves to themselves, they're just not wise. Verse 13, he says, we, however, we're not going to boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. So again, Paul is going to focus on the needs of that church in Corinth so that they might remain balanced. Beloved, you need to understand that at any time through the age of the church over these last 2,000 years, false prophets have come in and out of churches. They've drifted in, sometimes totally unaware, sometimes very evident. And the attack of the enemy is to get you and I to get the church off track to get us out of balance, not believing the truth of God's word, but believing the the logic or the understanding of man, weakening the word of God within our lives. And when the attack of the enemy comes in our lives, we don't have anything to stand on. We have no foundation. Why? Because they've watered down this word. Perhaps they don't even teach this word. They teach all kinds of self-helps and, and be good and, and you know nice things to say, but there's no foundation of God's word. And it's the foundation of God's word that will keep you in the midst of the storm, keep you strong and understanding who God is and who you are. And I love that. The fact that the word of God is very honest about who we are. And all the characters, and I do say characters, within the Word of God from the very beginning to the very end, it shows their their weaknesses, their warts, their stains, their brokenness, their failures. But you know what? In the midst of all that, it also shows how God in His might and His power lifts up those that have fallen, strengthens those who are weak, and uses those that have failed. That's our God. Amen? Amen. 
That, that's, that's the thing that I love about the Word of God. It's not a bunch of things that just you know, make you feel good. No, sometimes I read that and I said, man, that makes me feel bad. Man, that's pointed right to my heart. And you know what? We need to feel that way sometimes in order that we might be corrected, be instructed. Paul says, I'm not going to boast beyond anything except those things that include you, those things that deal with you. Albert Barnes, a Bible commentator years gone by, states, it's not an uncommon thing for men to have such confidence in their own gifts and particularly in a power of fluent speaking as to suppose that this is a sufficient evidence that they are sent to preach the gospel. Those that have come in, great orators, man, interesting speakers. People listen to them. Oh, they laugh. They're, they're, they're just drawn into the, and yet there's no authority of God's word. There's no anointing of the spirit in their life. And yeah, they may raise great crowds of people, but it's not impacting lives for the sake of the gospel. It's not impacting lives for eternity. Even today, a large congregation, a professional worship team, a massive budget, allowing for all kinds of bells and whistles, and as I say to a lot of people, dog and pony shows, you know, that does not equate with the good pleasure of God. That does not. Just because it's big doesn't mean that God is blessing it. The good pleasure of God, and we need to understand this. I don't care if you're in a big church, little church, uh, home Bible study, home church, whatever it is. The good pleasure of God comes when a people are taught well, equipped thoroughly, and walk in obedience to the call of God in their lives, both in the good times as well as in the hard times. And that's what's going to see where the good pleasure of God is. The pleasure of God is on that ministry. Man, there are only 40 or 50 people, but I see those guys out, out in the world. Eh? I see those guys at work. I see those, those, those women out on the, the street and in, in the grocery stores and in the restaurants. And man, they're living their faith. They're on fire for Jesus. Oh, but God can't be in that. There's only 50 of them. And if God was in that, wouldn't it be like 5,000? No, not necessarily. I could name some names of some ministries that have thousands and thousands that I don't believe that God is in. Warren Wiersbe reminds us, we've got to be careful that it is fruit that comes from spiritual life and not results that appear as we manipulate people and manufacture statistics. It's the fruit of our life that makes a difference. And that's what Paul is trying to drive in to the church here in Corinth. Guys, it's not about big speaker. It's not about a big program. It's about the fruit of the lives of the people. Paul had no great desire to continue or to promote or even to state his own case. And yet, because of the insistence of these others in Corinth that took such strong stands against Paul, against his ministry, he himself had to take the stand to combat that corruption of the enemy that was moving into the ministry there in Corinth. These false teachers that puffed themselves up there in the eyes of God's people. Paul had to do something. Why? Not for his own sake, but because he cared about the people. Because he knew that they were going to be led astray by the slick words and by the slick programs 
of these false teachers. We're so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a church home and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. When we began The Open Word radio ministry, our heart's desire was to get the message of God's kingdom and His grace to as many as possible. We knew that there'd be many who wouldn't come through the church door, but would perhaps tune into a radio program and be challenged and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of God's Word. God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. And yet, as with any ministry endeavor, there are expenses that happen through the production and distribution of these messages. If God has blessed you with the teaching, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in a financial commitment to the ministry of The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help the message of God's grace extend and grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 2 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word. Make us more and more.